Before we start this show, just a word from our sponsor. 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest that pro wrestling has had to offer. Along with their awesome line of pro wrestling apparel, they do offer many services. In the world of wrestling, there are hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads. Don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. If you would like to discuss possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or whatever, drop them a line. Go to 20 by 20 apparel. That's the number 20 X, the number 20 apparel.com. Now let's get to the show. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bum me, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yelling what it goes. You see me shining like a suit on puffy. You know my grind and shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kicks, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my asses. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Welcome to the Fresh of the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. And on Fresh of the Word, we like to deliver wisdom through great stories from the minds of bright creatives of pop culture. Through those stories, we like to dissect the journey of our guests and present actionable lessons and advice for our listeners, no matter what career or avenue of artistry they pursue. And before we get into this episode, I want to give a shout out to Knox Money, Bang Belushi, and Foul Mouth for the theme music for Fresh of the Word. And if you would like to support the podcast, you can always go to freshofthepodcast.com and just share any of the links for any of the episodes on any of your social media platforms. And also, you can subscribe to Fresh of the Word pretty much anywhere that podcasts are streamed. And that includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, pretty much everywhere. And please, rate and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. It will definitely help out the show. If you want to contact me, you can always reach me by email at djkfresh at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at kfresh is the word and on facebook at facebook.com slash kfresh and you can also follow fresh is the word on twitter at fresh is the word and that's is with iz instagram at fresh is the word podcast and facebook at facebook.com slash fresh is the podcast and this is episode 135 and this episode is a two-parter first with comic book horror author dirk manning known for such titles as nightmare world Tales of Mystery and Twisted's Haunted Hions. 
recorded at this year's C2E2 convention in Chicago. We had a quick chat about his current Kickstarter campaign for the superhero comic Hope, co-created with Kaylin Smith, who we heard back on episode 131, and being released through SourcePoint Press. And after my talk with Dirk, we get into my interview with the editor-in-chief of SourcePoint Press, Travis McIntyre. And during my chat with Travis, we talk about all the big things in store at SourcePoint Press in 2019. Hope, Floppy Cop, the Rotten Tail movie, and Haunted Highlands. Along with their early history, doing conventions, what they look for in creators they want to work with, and the audience they try to connect with. All right, first off, let's get into my interview with Dirk Manning, recorded from this year's C2E2 convention in Chicago. Are we here at C2E2 with Dirk Manning? Hi. <laughs> Say how long I've been waiting here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So for those of you that um, aren't here at C2E2 with us, uh, we, are, we got the introduction done, and uh, Kelly's been now waiting for a mere 25 minutes to get to this part in the interview because it is C2E2, it is hopping, it is banging, it is popping, it is locking, it is polka-dotting, it is non-stop. It's off the hook. It's off the hook. We're talking very quickly because things are probably going to get very chaotic again. Fast. Dirk is like a very uh, popular person, you know. He always is. Well, this is my 10th year at the show, so if people don't want to come see me by now, I guess I'm doing something wrong. Right. Okay, so we're in the middle of the, the whole Kickstarter. Yes. It's gone way over the uh, the the goal. We're hitting yes. the scratch mark, like scratch goals. Five unlocked so far. And how you feel about that, you know? Oh, it's just amazing. You know, for the fact that uh, after uh, being known as a horror guy and now to be doing a book that is a book about a superhero, for people still to say, you know what, we trust the quality of the Dirk Manning work, we're in. You know, they're in blind. Uh, some people got access to the first issue in advance. They know what an emotional gut punch this book is. Right. Uh, a lot of people do not. And uh, it's just really flattering. You know, we've unlocked five stretch goals so far. To be working with the Kaylin Smith, who's amazing and posing yeah. over there. You can't <laughs> see it in Radio Land, but she is posing. Right. She, like, flexed. She's like a, yeah. oh, my God. Those uh, 22 uh, millimeter pythons just jumped right out. She loves being right next to you, doesn't she? <laughs> you can't imagine the joy that it brings both of us to, for four weeks in a row to be just tabling next to each other. and It's just joyous. How's the tour going? It's just joyous as she looks at me and I just, you know, help me. She has the best faces. Oh, yeah. in re the best faces in comics. Yeah. Right. That's very expression. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a twitch at this point. Okay, you have a lot of work that is, you know, from the horror genre. Yes. But you say that Hope, which is a comic book, superhero comic book, very vibrant. Yes. That is scarier than that. Absolutely. You know? uh, a, a, a lot of people got a chance to read the first issue of Hope last year. We had a self-published version before we got picked up by SourcePoint Press. The reaction was universally at the end of the first issue, oh, my God. They're like, and, and then when's the next one? Uh, it's a very terrifying book. It's about parenting. It's about motherhood. It's about... But a lot of things, you know, uh, and I'm really excited for people to get to see the whole volume and read the book. Uh, you know, you can be back to Kickstarter, get the whole volume. You'll get a Kickstarter exclusive uh, hardcover or the first issue, the full first issue drops from Sourceplane Press on Free Comic Book Day, May 4th. So for you Star Wars fans, May 4th, you get A New Hope. Oh. Uh, yeah, see what we did there? Crazy, I crazy. wish I was the one that came up with that, but uh, I didn't, but it still works. How does hope sort of differ than your typical superhero? 
You know, I tell people it's a book about a superhero. It's not a superhero book. Right. And it's, and it's a difference I think is going to become very uh, obvious what I mean as people read it. But it's a book about a woman who um, moonlights as a superhero and what happens when some very unexpected events unfold in her life that really change the trajectory of everything she was doing. Um, to say more is to spoil, but it's... <laughs> It's a very character-driven book. It's very intense. I think people that like works of mine, like Tales of Mystery, which kind of have more of a, a strong, flawed character, or uh, people who are fans of Kaylin Smith's books like Plume, are going to find a lot to love in this series. How does your background doing horror fit into this book? What, what, what part of that li of your life doing those books fits into, ho into yeah, Hope? I've always said that good horror is answers the question, what would you do if? Hope very much answers that question of what would you do if. Within the first five pages, the if happens. And um, we get to explore that topic through the lens of, uh, of a superhero and how some villains can't be punched and how, um, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to say, I'm, I'm, be, I'm trying to be real careful. But uh, it, 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 it's, it's, uh, it's pretty intense. That's all I can really say. A lot of superheroes sort of get mixed feelings from like the general public within the story. Mm -hmm. why, why is that? You know, I think there's a lot to be said for the idea of uh, being a superhero. And, you know, uh, basically, you know, imagine a world where superheroes existed. And you have people that can knock down buildings. You have people that can fly. You have people that can teleport. You have people that can shoot lasers out of their eyes. Um, they're walking weapons. Right. You know, um, Mark, uh, Mark Miller, who wrote Civil War, one time used this great analogy about, imagine someone walking down the street with an AK-47 and, and a hockey mask on and saying, it's okay, I'm a superhero. Oh, yeah. No, that's not okay. That's not okay at all. You know, uh, well, some people might argue it is okay, but I mean, it's <laughs> just saying it's okay, I'm a good guy, does not automatically alleviate any of my concern about the fact that someone would have uh, weapons like that or powers like that. Hope in the book is a fairly well-liked uh, ultra superhero in the book, but that's not going to be what the book is about if she's well-liked or not. It's going to rather be about what happens when her life takes a very dramatic and unexpected turn and how, how she reacts, how those around her react, how society reacts, uh, how the villains react. It's, it's going to be pretty, um, it's pretty intense. What do you hope your readers get out of... Uh of reading hope and how does it fit in with today's real life culture oh my gosh um you know we're seeing such an awareness and a resurgence of uh paying attention to things like um gender roles and women's rights and and, and society and and how we view women in society and things like that um i i i think this fits into that zeitgeist uh zeitgeist very nicely you know, a buddy of mine just watched Captain Marvel, the movie, yeah. and said what he liked about it most is they never drew attention, extra attention to the fact that Captain Marvel was a, was a woman. Right. And that was such an interesting comment. And, 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 and as much as I like about it, that the fact that he's absolutely right, it didn't draw attention. She didn't have a, a male love interest. She wasn't saved by right. a guy, you know. Uh, but the fact now that people are recognizing that we can do that is also like, well, finally. Right. Yeah, Hope is a character. She happens to be female. We'd... We address that. We address her life as a woman. You know, Caitlin Smith is a woman. Our editor, Heather Antos, is a woman. I have many strong 
uh, women in my life that I'm very grateful are, are, are there and have been there. But that we can now look at things through that lens about there are differences and what is the differences and how do people view things right. is, um, is I think going to be very relevant moving forward. How did working with Kaylin and Heather sort of improve this book from a woman's perspective? Uh, you'd have to ask them. <laughs> <laughs> I did ask her. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what did she say? I'll tell you if I agree. She no. said there was like a few things she had to tell you like, okay, a woman really wouldn't do that. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and that's fair, right. You know, um, no, it, it, it was tweaks. Um, I, I, like, I like working with those two on the book because there, there's just questions about would someone react that way or things like that. You know, obviously I'm, I'm writing a female character through a male lens, but I've written a lot of other female characters before. Uh, I've written a lot of characters that are not like me right. in a lot of ways. But it's good to have that perspective of, of two very strong creators to balance that out and look at, you know, when we're getting into issues about specifically how would, how would, a, 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 how would a woman like Hope react to the situation. It's good to have two other strong women in your, right. in, on your team to evaluate, yeah, maybe not. And then sometimes I push back and say, ah, I think she maybe would. And, you know, but then we, we work that out. But by and large, I mean, I think we've all come to terms with everything throughout the book. And, and their, their insight has been invaluable. Have you learned anything writing a woman character? I mean, I've written women characters a lot uh, throughout my career. Never at the forefront as much as in this book, obviously. Um, but it it's one of these things where... Again, kind of like some of the stuff that Kaylin will say or that Heather will say about, oh, well, you know, it, it looks to me like this. Right. And uh, maybe there'll be an interaction or something like that. They're like, well, it looks to me kind of like this is happening. I'm like, oh, I never I never considered it that way. You know, uh, you know they kind of mess with me, oh, because you're a guy. You know, I'm like, <laughs> oh. But there's also a truth to that, too. It's like, you're right. You know, I, 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 I try to be very sensitive to things, very open-minded. I try to be very empathic about such things. But still, there's some things that I'm going to see through a middle-aged-ish white guy lens, right. no matter what. That's <laughs> what I am. So it's definitely been enlightening sometimes to be able to view things from that different perspective. And, and I think by and large with Hope, I mean, we are using that lens. And uh, But again, it's nice to get that feedback, too, of just something that may have been a blind spot for me. Any final thoughts that you want to talk about uh, with the Hope? Uh, yeah, we've run like five uh, goal, uh, five stretch goals so far on Kickstarter. Uh, everyone gets a Kickstarter exclusive hardcover. If you're going to get the trade paperback down the road, get the hardcover now. You, you pledge, you get the book for free, you're automatically upgraded to a Kickstarter exclusive hardcover. Go to Kickstarter, search Hope Comic. There's a beautiful trailer that Kaylin did on there. You can check everything out and, uh, and uh, go from there. It's, uh, it'll be worth your time. It'll be a series of emotional gut punches. Fair warning. So that was my interview with Dirk Manning, recorded at the C2E2 convention in Chicago. I had a blast at C2E2, met so many people that were already on the podcast, met so many people that hope to have on future episodes of the podcast. It was just a really fun vibe. Uh, go ahead and go online and support that Hope Kickstarter from Dirk Manning and Kaylin Smith and SourcePoint Press. It's I have the first issue. It's amazing, and I can't wait to read more, and I can't wait to get the the whole Kickstarter package that I, uh, I, that I pledged for. <laughs> so let's get into the interview now with Travis McIntyre, the editor-in-chief of SourcePoint Press. 
the the way that I you know heard about you guys, Horse Point Press, was because of the Twisted Haunted Highons comic book. Um, I've been a long time Twisted fan. Like uh, their comic book kind of you know got me into really you know wanting to learn more about you know meet other creatives and learn more about you know that sort of industry. And ever since the first Astronomicon uh, last year, I was um, I started going to more and more um, comic book conventions, going to the comic book store much more. And then you know I kind of turned that part into my um, onto my podcast, and I've interviewed a bunch of great uh, comic book creators. And but um, yeah, you guys are doing you know a lot of things. You know now you guys definitely expanding more to you know more into other things than you were before kind of talk about you know sort of like the state of uh, so, uh source, point, source point press right now and where it's kind of going this year uh yeah so this this year starting in uh january has kind of been a big transition year for us so uh, we've been around for about five years um uh, for the first three years we you know were sort of building gathering talent books and, uh, you know, we were just sort of self-distributing and kind of grinding the uh, convention scene. You know, we were touring like a band does. Um, <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, the beginning of last year, we got international distribution through Diamond and, and Ingram, uh, which are two book distributors. <clears throat> and we were doing uh, three books a month. So we were distributing three books a month. And that really helped kind of solidify our cash flow as a company. Um, along with, you know, our constant touring of convention after convention after convention, just kind of beating the streets with it. And then uh, starting in September, we're, we've upped to 10 books a month. So now we're doing 10 books a month, um, which has been pretty hectic, but so far so good, you know. Um, but we, we've kind of pushed into, you know, where we're, we're kind of comfortably sitting at the top of the small press heap right now. Right. Sort of the progression of the company, do you... um. Do you kind of, you know, lend that towards, you know, where you're going this year, you know, in regards to a vision that you you mm -hmm. have in compare or is it are you letting a lot of the material and some of the opportunities that kind of come your way with the um the creators that you work with sort of help with the progression of where the the company goes next? Uh, you know, that's an interesting question. I I honestly think that it's a little bit of both. I think that you you know, I have like a basic, it, it started off where I had to make a three-year plan, basically, uh, to keep my wife from murdering me. <laughs> uh, this is true. This is exactly how it went down. You know, it was three years ago. We were doing all these conventions and, uh, <clears throat> and, you know, she, I've got, I've got two small kids, you know, I've got us right now they're six and four, but when we first started doing this real heavily, they were like three and one. Right, right. And so, you know, she was like, I can't, I can't do this forever. You know, I know you're trying to build something and, and I respect that. And I want, I want to see you succeed, but we can't do it this way forever. So I came up with a plan that was like, look, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. This is what we're going to invest into it. These are the steps that I'm, that I'm going to take. Um, and, uh, you know, the goal of that was to get to the point where it's like, okay, we need to be big enough and have enough titles and enough creators who are kind of, you know, fit in 
into what we're doing. You know, if they have the same, it's similar to how M&E operates. You right. know, it's, it's not just like, well, can we find some new, new talent? It's, can we find the right talent who fits, who, who has the same flavor as us, you know, who also wants to grind like we grind. Right. <clears throat> um, but to have enough people to where I could go from doing, you know, cause I was doing 40 some shows a year. So almost every single weekend. Yeah. Um, so that I could cut back. So last year, you know, I cut back to uh, the low thirties and this year I'm hoping to cut back to a little bit below 20 personally. So that, you know, that was my, that was sort of the first plan is like, can we get to this point where we have enough personnel and enough, you know, cash flow that I can sort of step back and we have enough people to keep it rolling. Um, and we, we got, we got there. Um, <clears throat> and then it's one of these things where, you know, as you grow different opportunities present themselves and you kind of look at your roster and what you have and the types of books people are talking about and the types of books people are bringing you. And you're just trying to figure out what fits where and what makes sense. So yeah, every once in a while I'll be like, I, I we have an opportunity here. We need to fill this slot. Can I find a book that fills that slot? Or, um, or you know, I I've got these are the titles that we have. These are what's going well for us. How do we market them a little bit better now that we have the ability? Um, now that we have so you know we have a much bigger microphone now. Right. Maghorn is a better idea. So, you know, taking <laughs> stuff that we have in the pipeline, how do we how do we push it out there more now? What was what was some of the first titles that seemed successful enough to where you just thought in your mind, "Hey, this uh this plan that I have might actually work." The first time I think that me and Josh Werner um <clears throat> who is uh, the, the current art director for the company. He's one of the founders. Uh, I think the first time where we kind of looked at each other and we're like, this might work was when we released um, the very first issue of monstrous at a Michigan convention um, about three years ago. And uh, it was one of our first books that we had signed. That was, that was not like us, you know, that wasn't part of our little, you know, group of us basically kind of self-publishing. It was our first outside thing. And it, you know, it sold, I think at that very first little show, a little two-day thing, it sold 200 copies. Okay. Um, which, you know, that is not a, that's not a big deal, you know, by, by any stretch of the imagination. It was, it was, but that was the first time we were like, okay, cool. Um, this hit a chord. People really responded to it. They responded to it by buying it. And we turned a nice chunk of profit on that book. Um, you know, and now Monstrous is like a 16 issue long series and it comes out monthly, you know, through diamond comic shops all over. Right. With, and I, you know, I, like you were talking about you, you're doing all these, uh, these conventions and by now it's just like, you guys are almost like a staple of the conventions, you know, around here in this you know, oh, yeah, region. Um, you know, what's your, what's your idea about what you want to put out, you know, to how, how you want to present yourself at these, uh, these conventions to the people that are there, you know, whether or not they already know who you guys are or not. We want to, so 
it because it kind of started off as one thing you know so we're very proud of of being uh you know our our roots were you know northern detroit is where we kind of started the company um and we're very proud of that <clears throat> and we also think that the the the, the 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 detroit comic scene the michigan comic scene the midwest comic scene is the strongest scene uh of anywhere we've been and we've, we've been everywhere. You know, we do San Diego, we do New York city, we do everything. Yeah. So we're very proud of that. We're very proud to be from here and we're very proud to represent that. And we're very proud to be one of the, the bigger and more, um, more, you know, and one of the bigger, biggest and most probably recognizable publishers in that scene. And so we try really hard, you know, I, <clears throat> You know, we do in the Midwest, we do everything from the biggest shows to the littlest ones, yeah. you know, and we try to bring something special to all of those shows because this is this is our place and we want we want it to be awesome. And we want people, whether they're coming to a small Fantasticon in Fort Wayne, Indiana, or they're going to C2E2 in Chicago, we want them to be like, that was cool, man. And I got to talk to, you know people uh that are in the industry and know what they're doing um which is why we continually do um you know portfolio reviews and take pitches and things at the table at every show we go to we almost always send someone who has the authority to do that um so that's important to us and that's something we try to put out you know is that this is where we're from we work with a lot of people from this region uh at the same time we kind of balance that because we have grown so much you know we're you know, we're a huge place at Book Expo in New York City. We're main floor at San Diego. You know, we're we're in Canada. I leave for Dublin, Ireland tomorrow morning. Um, so, you know, we try to. It's it's a, it's a it's a weird line to to walk, honestly. Uh, because we started off, we were so based in here. This is our area. You know, we're the Michigan publisher. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but before the before we actually kind of got SourcePoint really rolling, we were doing a thing called the Michigan Comics Collective, okay. which was a nonprofit. And that's that's kind of how I learned how to publish a book was going was building that and going through that. Um, and that was all Michigan only talent. You know, that whole idea was we were going to do these books that were were completely made in Michigan all the way up to being printed in Michigan. Right. 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 You know, so we were, uh, we were, we were basically kind of big, big homers, you know? <laughs> right. What I've always noticed about the, the source point press uh, booth at any, at any uh, comic con is that you guys are having a lot of fun. You know, it's very, it's always very welcoming. You know, how important is it to, have that sort of fun vibe at your uh, at your booth. I think it's really important. I think that people, I think that people respond to um, a couple of things. One, they respond to the hustle. You know, they want. Uh, I think people want to. Um, when they when they see something that that looks cool, that's big. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a major part of the of the show that makes them want to uh, go and look at it and be a part of it. Yeah. And when they walk up to that thing and those people are open and welcoming and like, hey, come here, let me tell you about this. Let me get you in on this. I think that it makes putting paper in people's hands a lot easier. Right. 
Um, you know, we, we are not really big on, uh, you know, kind of being the sort of prototypical standoffish comic artist trope. You know, we want, we also really don't believe in, um, you know, like, it, let's say you're a huge fan of Batman, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you're going to you're going to go to the store and you're going to buy Batman comics because you love Batman. Nothing right. wrong with that. It's great. I'd like that's wonderful. I think that's perfect. But <clears throat> there's. Uh, there, there's there's not a lot of point in me uh, spending a ton of effort and time trying to convince you to give your four dollars to me instead, because I don't I don't publish Batman, you know. So what we try to do is we try to, we, we really try to go after people who are maybe not reading comics now, um, but could be, or who are maybe already a little bit interested in something different, or they're already into small press stuff, or they're all already into independent stuff, you know, things like that. Um, and I think a big part of that scene is so conventions have evolved a lot over the past maybe 10 years, at least as long as I've been going to them to where they have moved away from being purely comic and moved into being these pop culture experiences. Yeah. And I think a lot of comic purists sort of hate that. Uh, but for me, I think it's great uh, because I want I want there to be wrestlers and people from TV shows. I want different types of fandom. You know, I want, I want Harry Potter fans and people who've never read a Marvel or DC book or, you know, whatever, like somebody who's there because they want to get so-and-so's autograph because they're fans of Lord of the Rings or whatever it is. I don't care. <clears throat> you know, I want that broad cross section of fandom because I want the opportunity to try to talk to those people and show them what we're making and see if it could be something that's theirs. Right. Um, and I, I think that, that's one of the things that has sort of set us apart and helped us have the success that we've had and that we never looked at it in this terms of like, okay, so, you know, the direct comic market is 1.8 million people going to a store in the United States on every Wednesday. And, you know, 78% of that market's owned by my Marvel and DC and the rest of it's chopped up from image and dark horse and dynamite and IDW and everybody else. And you got to try to get your, you know, your footprint in there. I, I've never really, I've never really gone after that. You know, that's never really been our thing. Our thing was like, nah, we'll just, we'll, we'll try to build our, we're going to try to build our own market. We're going to find people who are already disposed to give our stuff a chance and give it a read. Um, and kind of to circle this all the way back, I think that's part of the reason that a show like Astronomicon is, is so successful for us. Um, because you're getting, a very different cross-section of people. Right. When, um, and also, yeah. also, I've found that, like, like Twisted fans and M&E fans are, are very, they're very hustle-driven. So oh, if, yeah, definitely. If definitely. you're into a thing, they get, they get excited about it, too, and then pretty soon they're buying everything you have. So it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, good, it's a good fit, honestly. Right. You were, you know, you were kind of talking about like the way that these conventions have progressed into sort of, you know, full-on pop culture events. 
you know, do you feel like it's, it's easier to talk to and even maybe sell your product to a casual, a casual uh, pop culture fan that might be just there to get their picture taken with some, you know, horror movie legend as compared to a comic book purist? What, what was that? I didn't catch the, I didn't catch quite what you, what I was saying was, um, you know, do you find it easier to connect with the people at a convention who maybe just be a, that are just like a casual comic book reader that is just there for the, you know, maybe get their picture taken with a horror flick legend in comparison to, uh, like the comic book purists? Yeah, I feel like, um, I mean, we, we almost kind of, the answer to your question is absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. There is, um, you can kind of, you, you do enough of these, you can kind of tell based on what people are carrying in their hands, whether or not you're going to have a chance of them picking up your book. Does that <laughs> mean it's not always true, obviously. Right. But if, if you have an older gentleman who is like wandering by and he's got, you know, a stack of uncanny X-Men from the eighties, you probably are not going to get that sale. <laughs> this is a guy who is, this is what he's into. This is what he does. Nothing wrong with it. That's awesome shit. You know, I, I don't, I'm not criticizing it at all, but you're not going to get that sale. Um, now on the other hand, if you have, an older male walks by and he's got a whole bunch of like old issues of tales from the crypt in his hand or something like that. Chances are you're going to, we'll get him, you know, we'll get somebody who's into that or into old pulp or things like that. Um, but yeah, we generally, the guys who are like what I would call long box miners or <laughs> are, are more hardcore into like, you know, hunting down silver and bronze age keys and stuff like that. That isn't really our audience. Um, I'm not at all against them. I mean, you know, full disclosure, I was, I was kind of a hardcore collector of that stuff. I mean, a lot of the money that I spent to 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 fund SourcePoint the first two years were because I sold my comic book collection. You know, <laughs> um, and I had a big collection of silver. You know, all the, you know, of like 1960s era Marvel. So I, I get it. I totally understand. I think it's a great hobby. <clears throat> but those people tend to not be um, who we're looking for. Whereas if you have somebody who is, you know, they're there and they're excited because it's a horror show and, and they want to meet Kane Hodder and get a picture of him choking them, that's perfect, man, because we work with Adam Green and we do the Holliston book and Kane Hodder is in one of those comics. You know, we, we can get those fans. Right. You mentioned earlier um, how that, you know, at these uh, conventions, uh, you'll do uh, some, um, you'll, you know, look at pe um, people's um, work if they show it to you guys. Uh, what is like when a creator goes, like an upcoming creator goes to um, conventions to sort of seek some advice from you guys or any uh on creator that might be in artist alley, what are sort of the do's and don'ts that they should, uh, that should, they should really stick to when presenting their own creations. Yeah. So for us, um, 
we ultimately had to stop taking digital submissions um, because we were, we were just getting inundated with them. And we're, we don't have that many people who, I mean, there's three of us basically who work for source point full time. Right. Um, we just didn't have time for it. So what we did is we were like, look, if, if you want to submit to us, we're at a show all the time, come find us, you know, because we kind of look at it like, look, spend, put a little effort into it, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I can tell you this. If, if you come up to me and you have made a thing, you've made something with your hands. Uh, I don't care if it's something that you printed at a state and stapled it together. But if you made something and you're giving it to me for me to, to take home and read, I will read it. Um, I, I really feel like there is, there's a lot to be said for taking the time to try to craft something, even if you do a bad job, you know, like even if it's terrible, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, right. You, you saw something, you saw something through to the end um, because that, that tells me something about you right off the bat because comics is hard and it is, it's a real grind. And oftentimes there's very little money or it takes a long time to get to the money and it's slow. Uh, and, you know, so we look at, we look at, we look at the creator of a book is at least as much as we look at the story in the art, at least as much, you know, like if you gave me something and I was like, this is really good. The art looks good. The story is interesting. I think this could be a good fit. Um, the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to start looking at you. I'm going to look at your social media and I don't care how many followers you have or how big a deal you are. But I want to see how are you engaging with the people that you are engaging with? Are you talking about your work? Do they seem interested in it? Are you interested in other people's work? Are you engaging with them? Um, you know, do you seem like you have the right attitude to do this? Are you driven to do this? <clears throat> so if you bring me something that you made, uh, even if you didn't have any money to do it uh, and you did it completely on the cheap, that goes a long way with me because, you know, it's showing that, that you're – that you're trying to finish a thing. You're trying to get a thing to the point where it's like, Hey, you know, this is whatever it is, whatever level you're capable of doing that you did that, you know? So that kind of stuff will, will get me to read your stuff. Um, all that being said, that that's really more for somebody who's like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make a book. If you are trying to get a, like, page rate type work as an artist and so you want us to do a portfolio review um the best way to do that is to like show up in the morning and ask about available times and set an appointment for it right and i think uh, i mean a lot, a lot of the big publishers they kind of like will have like set times during every day and yeah. people come and they line up and all that kind of stuff um i don't think we're big enough to where we need to do that I mean, at, at like a huge show, I'll have a ton of them, but at little shows, you just, you'll have one or two people will, will sometimes come and want you to look at their stuff. But I do try to give everybody time. Um, I try to give everybody some of my time and actually look at their work and give them what, in my opinion, are, are, are where they need to go. Um, to, you know, to get to the next level, to get to where someone's going to write them a check for their art. 
Uh, and I mean, and we have hired two artists um, in the past year from portfolio reviews. So it, it is, it's a possible thing. It happens. Um, you know, but I, I think that the best way is to come right off the bat early in the morning, walk up and say, Hey, I'd like to get in a time to do a portfolio review. What time would be best? And then let me like set an appointment. I think that's the best way to do that. And yeah, I think in kind of extending on what you uh, just described, ultimately when you, uh, when you actually bring anybody into the fold of SourcePoint Press to do some work, what are, what are the type of qualities you're looking for in a person? Um, yeah, probably one is, um, you gotta have, you gotta have a little bit of talent, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, you gotta have a little bit of talent, but you gotta have a lot of drive, right? You know, right. more than anything, you gotta have a lot of drive. Um, like I said, it's not easy. And source point is, is very much, is a very tight knit group. You know, we're on the road. Like I said, you know, tomorrow I, I'm driving to Detroit. I pick up Casey. We're flying to Dublin together. I have three other teams operating this weekend doing three other shows, you know, so we're together all the time, you know, running around. So you have to be driven. You have to be able to, you know, you have to be able to kind of put, put, put the time in. Um, we're not unreasonable. We like, you know, I'm, it's not like we put in the contract. You must do this many you know, you must do this many or whatever, because people have different lives, you know, some people have this personal life that it precludes them from doing that. Fine. No problem. Find your spot, you know, find the thing you can do that, that fits in, find the way that you can market your stuff, you know? And I think that's probably one of the main things is that we try to find somebody, we try to find people who are, are driven to, to get out there and do it. They understand that this is about like building a fan base, one person at a time, one interaction at a time, you know, until you get to where you're like, Oh, I've got, you know, I've got a hundred people buying one thing I do a year. And then the next year I've got 500 people buying two things I do every year. And the year after that, I've got 1500 people buying three things. Well, at that point you got yourself a part-time job, you know? And then maybe the year after that, you've got 3000 people buying three things that you do every single year and like, well, now you're probably making 40 grand a year, you know, on, on your creative output. So, you know, I want people who, <clears throat> I want people who understand that that's, that's the goal here. And it's something that you build brick by brick. It's not something where you show up with like, here's my piece of brilliance and it's going to take off like a rocket. You know, I want people who are, who are like, no, I'm here to, I'm, I'm here to build the house, you know. This year, um, you guys got a lot of uh, great things coming up. Um, 2019. Um, there's hope. There's uh, haunted highlands. Uh, there's the rotten tail uh, trade with the movie coming out. You know, kind of uh, talk about uh, some of these big, uh, some of these uh, really interesting and big uh, um, projects that you guys got coming out in 2019. Uh, yeah, man. Um, this is going to be a big year. So, uh, the first thing you mentioned hope, which actually, um, so hope's going to be really interesting. One, it's our first free comic book day book. Um, so if you don't know what free comic book day is, it's the first Saturday in May, uh, just about every comic book store in the world does this event free comic book day where 
you can go in and you get, you know, these certain comics are free. And so what we did is we did the hope number one is going to be a free book. And it's not like a partial issue. It's not a number zero. It's not an anthology. It's the full on real issue. Number one is going to be the free book. Um, so that's out there happening. Um, and then in May, we're actually soliciting number two. So if people pick up number one for free, they read it, they can immediately order number two from, you know, their local store. And then at the same time, we're, you know, we're doing that with Dirk and Kaylin, who have both respectively been, you know, uh, record-breaking, you know, crowdfunding uh, uh, creators. So tomorrow we're launching a Kickstarter that is going to be the collected version of all six issues, um, but it'll be just an exclusive, an exclusive version that's going to come out only through the campaign. So we're, we're kind of trying to sort of walk a fine line between those two worlds um, and, and hopefully please two different types of fan bases. So that's going to be, I think really interesting. And I, th- I think it's going to be successful because the product is really good. The book is awesome. Uh, the creators are great. And uh, you know, we're putting out some really, some really fun stuff that I think is going to appeal to, you know, the, the kind of the hardcore fans of Caitlin and Dirk and more casual fans who are just sort of discovering us for the first time. Right. Um, you know, Rotten Tail is uh, one of our earliest graphic novels and um, one of our very first graphic novels to ever sell out and go into a second printing. Um, it's a horror comedy about a, uh, a laboratory scientist who gets bitten by a mutant bunny and turns into a murderous Easter bunny. It's super silly, super over the top. Um, we, uh, we went into principal photography, uh, in 2017 on that and then went into post in 2018 and man spent most of the year, it's a slow, man, it's a slow, hard process. Making that movie aged me 20 years, man. <laughs> um, but we did make, we made, you know, in conjunction with a lot of partners and, and different producers, you know, we, we made our first uh, our first feature film, and uh, it actually hits theaters on the 12th. But on April 4th, which is a Thursday, um, there's going to be a, uh, the premiere event is going to be in Detroit. Nice. So uh, we can't. I can't announce the what theater it's going to be at just yet because we haven't we haven't gotten all the our eyes crossed and our T's dotted, so to speak. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, it's going to be coming soon. And uh, the cool thing with that is that uh, Twisted actually did um, a lot of the soundtrack for Rotten Tail. Okay. Awesome. So, so we're gonna have, uh, you know, I think uh, I think the guys are gonna come out, do a little appearance, watch the movie with us, uh, hopefully like it, hopefully laugh. Uh, I mean, I, I did the commentary track just a couple of days ago, and I was I was laughing my ass off. I, I was so happy because I hadn't seen it in full since before the color correction and the sound correction. Yeah. And I tell you what, man, it is astonishing when you kind of watch a movie go from through all the stages. Cause you just like, you for, you see the assembly cut and you're just like, Oh God, what have we done? <laughs> <clears throat> and then, and then, you know, it goes through all the steps and it starts getting color corrected and it start the sound mix starts coming together and you're like, Oh, this isn't so bad. And then you watch the final version. I was just like, Holy shit. We made a movie, man. Oh, like, this, this looks, looks good. Like a real movie. <laughs> 
Like, maybe we're not going to be bankrupt after all. You know, maybe not. We'll see. Right. Uh, I think we're going to do like a little, uh, a really limited edition, you know, CD of the soundtrack. Um, you know, maybe like 500 copies or something. Just just kind of a for fun thing. Right. Uh, you know, with, with Twisted and the guys. So those are, <clears throat> the, the Rotten Tail thing right now is probably the thing that's taking up, uh, still managing to take up the most of my time. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the uh, Darkness Rises miniseries uh, with Twisted is, it's, it's, I mean, I was, to be 100% honest, when this was first brought to me, uh, um, and I love the guys, I love George, when this was first brought to me, I was like, oh, come on, man, I don't want to do a band comic, you know? <laughs> Kiss did that in the '90s, and it sucked. You know, I don't, I don't want to do a band comic. Um, but you know, Dirk was writing it, and <clears throat> I, you know, I like his work usually. And Mariana's a, a great artist, and they, they kind of kept on me for a couple of weeks. And uh, you know, and then, and then the same thing with with George. He kind of had to be convinced a little bit to to come with us. And then, and then we did it. We did that first one shot, and. You know, the surprising thing was, is that, yeah, it was based on, it was based on, you know, these, these guys and the characters that they are, you know, but the comic itself was actually funny, you know, it was fun and it was funny and it had a real Scooby-Doo vibe. And, yeah. And, and I think it was, um, you know, I, I thought it was like, this is a really readable thing. Like people could read this and enjoy it and have, have never listened to Twisted before, you know, and still kind of get the vibe of who these guys are and what they're about. Uh, and I think Darkness Rises is that even more so. Right. I think that it's the biggest challenge we're going to have with it. Because um, to be honest, like selling it is not hard. It's it's very easy. Uh, I mean, Twisted fans are ravenous, you know, like, yeah. like, I mean, we like it's you they, they'll buy the books you know like they'll buy them and check them out and love them and, and all that but you, you kind of as a publisher you kind of want to try to like push past that a little bit and like be like okay cool that's great and i'm so grateful to this amazing fan base but can we get you know can we get some of the normies to check this out too and that's sort of the challenge that we're having is is you know, which that's, I mean, that's why we went with the Eastman cover because we were trying to get a big name to get people to like people in the comics world to be like, what Kevin Eastman twisted. Yeah. Why? You know, and like, look at it and pick it up and read a few pages and realize like, actually, this is pretty clever. This is funny. This is a good comic. It's not just like a chintzy band tie in thing. This is a good comic. This yeah. is a, this is a good, you know, Scooby-Doo funny horror mystery and uh that is you know we're trying to market it that way um you know and we're like we're having twisted's coming to c2e2 for a signing on the saturday uh you know so we're we're putting in a lot of effort to kind of try to get more exposure um for the for the book and for them and the into the mainstream comic audience <clears throat> and i i hope you know, I don't have unrealistic expectations. Like, you know, this is not going to start selling Spider-Man numbers or anything. But <laughs> right, I, I really just I want people to, you know, like Twisted fans are going to get it, and they're gonna they're gonna be like, "This is great! I love this." 
awesome. But I, I want to get some of the, you know, the, the run of the mill uh, comic fans to be like, what is this thing? And then read it and realize this is pretty cool. And if those people turn around and start checking out Twisted for the first time ever, that's a that's a big win, you know. Very definitely. Another another um, title that you guys are going to be working with that I really love is Floppy Cop. Floppy Cop? Yeah. Yeah. Cop is Floppy Cop. So weird, man. It's so weird. Um. <laughs> I just hope that that book finds the appropriate niche. It is, it's really funny, but it's in like, the art is very whimsical, but it is not a kid's book. <laughs> and then, and then on top of that, you have Ray Fosgett who, you know, he's the famous, my little ponies artist and he works for Disney and he's, you know, he's like, he's, quintessential children's cartoonist is doing the covers and so this is this book exists in this weird niche and i i hope that it finds its niche and i hope enough people read it and realize how clever it is and how funny it is and how different it is um but yeah that is uh let's see i think number two is being solicited right now and i think number two is the mark solicitation yeah yes so that means we'll we'll be getting the we'll be getting the uh, order numbers for number one here I don't know, eight days or so, 10 days maybe. Right. So we'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out how it did. I mean, it does great conventions, you know, like it kills at conventions. If you can get, if you can get people to check it out and tell them about it, it, it kills. Right. That's but, how, that's how I came about know, it. I saw, <laughs> <laughs> that's how I, yeah, I bought it at one of the conventions. Uh, I think Dirk told me to go talk with, uh, with Jay and then he showed me it and I'm like, dude, this is hilarious. And I had to buy. No, actually, I think I bought it from uh, Dan Doherty actually, and he was uh, telling Dan... me <laughs> telling me about it. And I'm like, dude, I have to buy this. This is hilarious. It's it is extremely funny. <laughs> what are you know? What are you most excited about? You know, with everything coming up with uh, SourcePoint Press. Uh, I mean, there's a ton of things that I'm really excited about, but the the number one thing is uh, getting Rotten Tail uh, wrapped. I mean, it's been that thing has been like con- all consuming for two years, you know, um, and not you know, and not to put too fine a point on it, but I got like, you know, I got, I've got all my retirement is wrapped up into that movie, you know, like it it has it has a lot of money and a lot of my soul in it you know and i didn't make it to get rich at all i made it you know to to have made a movie i made it to have made a movie and to show that we could make a movie and that we could make this happen and we could bring in the partners we needed um and it was just a massive amount of work and a massive like a huge team effort i mean and so 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 many people i mean i'm not even going to say any names because then i'll just spend the next hour having to say names <laughs> but so many had to come together to make this thing happen and now we're like um five weeks away from actually four weeks away four weeks away now from actually like sitting in a movie theater with a bunch of people and they're going to be able to watch it on a on a big screen, you know, and then a week after that, it's going to release 
you know, I mean, it's a small B horror movie, so it's not going to be in like 3000 theaters, but it's releasing nationally, you know? So <clears throat> again, uh, I, I, I think that, I think that for the vast majority of, you know, the American movie watching audience, they're going to be like, this is a stupid movie. And I have been made actively dumber by watching it. <laughs> but if you are already the type of person that thinks it's like a murderous Easter bunny sounds a little bit funny, then you are going to like this movie. And I'm, <laughs> I'm proud of it. You know, I mean, it's silly and it's over the top and it's bloody and it's ridiculous, but that's what I like. You know, I like that stuff. So I'm proud of it. I think it's great. And I'm, I just can't wait for it to be out and being watched and not have to not, you know, and not have it be this thing that it's like, yep, we're still working on it. Yep. Rotten Tail's still coming. Yep. It's, you know, it's in post. Yep. You know, I, I you know, it, it's this part of the process took three months, you know, well, you know, it could have taken one month. Could have. If I'd had ten times more money, it probably would have, you know, but I didn't. So this was it took three months to do this, you know. So uh, just having it having it wrap, you know, having it be done, that's that's I think the thing I'm looking forward to the most. Right. Kind of letting out letting out a big breath. <laughs> uh, I bet you are. I bet you are. I like to ask this question uh, to everybody I'm in interviewing. Like, what's something like a nugget of knowledge from your life and career that anybody listening to this, no matter what sort of avenue of artistry that they're in, could sort of uh, project into their own life? Hmm. I think. Uh... I think that, man, I mean, it's, it's going to sound, uh, it's going to sound like bad advice. It's going to sound like bad advice. But, um, <laughs> I would say that if you, if you really want to do a thing, if you really want to do a thing, um, you can't be, you can't be afraid to, to spend money and time, uh, trying to make that thing happen. You know, you, if you want a thing, if you, if you want a thing to become a job, you have to treat it like it's a job. And if you want a thing to be, to be your business, you got to treat it like it's your business. And, and that means making an investment into it. And sometimes that investment means, means money. And sometimes that investment means, means a ton of your time, you know, and you, you can't be afraid to do that. Um, you know, if you're happy, with, if you're happy doing it, doing a thing and, and it being a hobby for you and more power to you. And that's great. But if you really want to try to take the, to kind of take the next step, you, you have to, you have to be willing to kind of take a little bit of risk. And I always like to end my interviews with the same question. And I already gave it to you ahead of time. Who is somebody that's uh, been a part of your life or career that I could realistically interview for this podcast and they'd have some great lessons or stories to talk about? You know, I, I thought about this and I went through about five different people that I thought would be funny to sick you on All for right. an interview. Yeah, you can do multiple people. That's fine. No, I, I've narrowed it down. I got one guy. I got one guy. Okay. And he's he's hugely influential. He was at my house yesterday. We were having a meeting. He's uh, he's my men my business mentor. His name is Paul Burke. Okay. And I will send you his email. 
You and he will he will almost certainly be willing to do an interview. Uh, Paul is a guy who uh, in the you know he in the seventies he you know worked in the management for Kiss. Okay. And and in the eighties he was doing all kinds of crazy weird things. You know he was in music and in the distributing film soundtracks and then in the 90s he was partners with Todd McFarlane and he's one of the you know founders and executive vice presidents of uh, McFarlane Toys uh you know which turned into the kind of the the name and the block in the toy business um and this guy's just done everything everything uh he you know and after that he he formed a you know, a tier one car company, you know, with, with contracts into Ford. And then, you know, that, that ended up going away. I mean, he, he's, he's made a fortune, lost a fortune, made a fortune, lost a fortune. (laughs) He's like a pure dyed in the wool, old school entrepreneur. Like let's make this happen. What kind of dumb idea do you have? Can we make it work? (laughs) Guy. Um, and, uh, he's really fun to talk to. He's got, insane stories he's the only person no shit he's the only person i've ever seen pull out a cell phone and call stanley oh damn <laughs> this guy he's crazy I, I one time was like you know i had all these questions i'm trying to put on put together this investment brief and i'm like i need you know somebody who really knows this stuff to look and look this over for you next thing i know he's got like the retired cfo of the tropicana company you know i got a meeting with him He's gonna he's gonna help me straighten out some of the numbers on this investment brief. You know? <laughs> <clears throat> like the guy has just been he's been around for so long and done so many different types of distribution and manufacturing from from toys to 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 music to movies to you know whatever it is whatever it is you know he's uh, he's really interesting full of insane stories. And uh, I, I think that I think that you he'd be he'd be different. I think he'd be a lot different because he's very much plugged into the entertainment industry, but he's not an entertainer. Right. He's the guy who figures out how to make money on what entertainers are doing, and it's uh, it's worth interviewing. Wow, that sounds amazing. Sounds like an amazing uh, guy to interview. Once you, uh, it, if you, if you've been hanging around, you probably have met him. He's, uh, you know, he's kind of an older guy. He's real skinny, tall. Okay. You know, uh, kind of like lopes around, and like every single time he sees me, every time or every time I pick up the phone, how you doing, Travis? <laughs> got this like Eeyore voice. Never gets excited about anything. Just like, well, this is it'll be how it goes. You know? It's 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 awesome. Oh, that's great, man. It's great. All right, Trav. It's been good uh, good chatting with you. Uh, thanks for uh, doing the podcast. And before we get out of here, uh, where can people go online to get more information about you and everything going on with Source Point Press? Yeah, I mean, we're easy to find. We're on all the major social media under 
Twitter, SourcePoint Press. Uh, I think Twitter is the only one that's different, at SourcePTPress.com, or at SourcePTPress, yeah. But otherwise, it's SourcePoint Press. We're on you know, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. Uh, as for me personally, um, I'm Travis McIntyre. Easy to find on Facebook, at tmcintyre one on Twitter. Um, or, you know, come to virtually any convention that is near you and chances are we will be there in one form or another <laughs> and he's telling the truth <laughs> i'm telling the truth yeah and if we're not there then you know send me a message and let me know and we'll try to be there all right great all right man it's good it's been good chatting with you man thanks for uh for being on the podcast thank you for time it was fun so that was my interview with Travis McIntyre, the editor-in-chief of SourcePoint Press. For more information about all the great titles that SourcePoint Press is going to be working on in 2019, along with everything from their past and their future and their present, you can always go to SourcePointPress.com. There's more information, more links to all their social media in the show notes for this episode at freshofthepodcast.com, along with more information on where you can uh, help contribute to the Hope Kickstarter from SourcePoint Press, along with Dirk Manning and Kaylin Smith, also in the show notes for this episode. Another great episode in the books. We've got some great guests coming up. So thank you for listening. Goodbye and good night. Fresh, 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 fresh is the word.